Today we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. This is an extremely important event, one of only a, a, a handful of events that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a lot of churches that celebrate this at the beginning of the season of Epiphany. But the reason we're celebrating it today, the Sunday before Lent, is that uh, the baptism of Jesus is actually the very last thing Jesus does before he goes out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days where he is tempted by the devil. We are just about to enter our Lenten fast, our 40-day Lenten fast. In the church, we, we fast, we refrain from alleluias, and we're free to fast from other things as well. It's a good practice. It's a good discipline that makes us realize that, that we are tempted. For as long as we are in this world, this wilderness of this world, we are tempted, and we need God's help. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah prayed for God's help in this way. Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down. Today in our gospel lesson, that's exactly what we see. God rips open the heavens to help us. There's this interesting line in Matthew's account. After Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up out of the water. Suddenly the heavens were opened for him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing on him. The heavens opened is a phrase that shows up a few times in Scripture, usually with the idea of God raining down blessing or prosperity, or as a prayer for God to, to, to show blessing or prosperity, as in Isaiah's case. And whatever does happen when the heavens open, it's an extraordinary thing. The first time the Bible says the heavens were opened is for Noah's flood in Genesis 7. On that day, the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. There's a connection between this, Noah's ark, and the flood, and, and Jesus' baptism, or baptism in general. Peter wrote in our epistle, in this ark, eight souls were saved by water. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. If you go downstairs to our nursery here at church, you'll see artwork depicting this. When God opened the heavens for Noah, he destroyed the earth by, by, by the flooding rains that poured down. But with those same waters, God saved Noah and his family. He lifted them above, above all of the evil in the world and kept them safe in the ark until the day when the, when the dove would come back with an olive branch and God himself would open the door. We have a kid's Bible at home, many kids' Bibles, and one of them, uh, like 99% of all kids' Bibles, has a story of Noah's ark, and it's a cute uh, story and everything with all the animals. But I hate reading that story out of that book because it says that the reason that God saved Noah was because Noah was good and everybody else was evil. And it gave some examples of all the evil things other people did. Nothing about Noah's faith in God or God's mercy towards him. Just that Noah was a better person than everybody else. Listen to a podcast a while back that said the majority of American Protestants, uh, non-Roman Catholic Christians in America, believe that our salvation has something to do with my actions and me being a good person. 
The majority of American Protestant Christians believe that. And this is the way that we naturally think that if I'm good, God will save me. If I'm good, God will bless me. He'll open the heavens and he'll give me a, a better life, less trouble, less suffering, uh, more riches, more blessing, more prosperity. Now, there's an obvious problem to that line of thinking. Why then aren't all Christians more rich and blessed and happy than non-Christians? And we know even if we don't want to believe it, that God provides. He, he opens the heavens and provides everything that we need for our body and life, even to all the wicked. God's providence and blessing toward us has nothing to do with our actions. And so maybe we're not that blunt about it, and we believe that God blesses me because of my works. Maybe we're more subtle, and we believe that it's our faith or the strength of our faith, that's the reason that God should show blessing or the reason that God should save me. One of the most dangerous errors that's crept into the church in the last couple hundred years is that baptism is a mere public testimony of your faith. That is you declaring to God and everyone else that your faith is such that you can be confident you are going to follow God. What this does is make, it a, make a work and a gift of God into a work of man. It makes faith a work. And it makes baptism a work. It turns gospel into law. And it throws out God's promise and it says, I have the power or the will to do this. And if that's true, John the Baptist's reaction in our gospel makes absolutely no sense. John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? John knows that baptism is for sinners. And he knows that heaven is shut to sinners. We can't reach heaven. Jesus, John also knows that there is only one man who is not a sinner, and to whom heaven is not shut. And that's Jesus. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, because it is proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. John was right. Jesus did not need to be baptized. But Jesus isn't going to be baptized for himself. He's going to be baptized for us. He's going to be baptized to, to fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus is doing is that he is immersing himself into our sin. Jesus was becoming a sinner for us, taking upon himself the sins which he had not committed and wiping them out and drowning them in his holy baptism. Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness. He was purifying the sinful waters of our baptisms and making them righteous. This is law for Jesus. But it's gospel for us. And it's at that moment that God rips open the heavens. The entire Trinity is present. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my Son whom I love. I am well pleased with him. 
God has come to help. In fact, God has come to fulfill what we could not and then join us to himself. That's what baptism is. It's God coming to help. God's promise to forgive. God's promise to save. God's promise to strengthen. God is taking a sinner who did not deserve anything, who could not reach heaven by their own strength or decision, and God is reaching down to them and covering them with the righteousness of Jesus. This is why Peter says that baptism now saves you. It does. It really does save you. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the guarantee of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. That good conscience means that because Jesus was righteous and was accepted by God into heaven, you are too. You also are accepted by God. Heaven is open to you. A couple of months ago, I had the privilege of discussing baptism at one of our uh, prison ministry Bible studies. One of the inmates uh, who was there was troubled about his baptism, and he felt guilty that he, he needed to be rebaptized. He said that baptism is, is, is me letting God know that I accept him. And he was afraid because he had been baptized as an infant and he had forgotten it and he didn't remember it and it didn't mean much to him. And, and, and so he felt that God would be ashamed of him. He thought God would say, why, why haven't you done this thing for me again? Do you really love me? He thought he needed to let God know that he accepted him. And I told him that baptism is not you accepting God, but it's God accepting you. God declaring of you that you are his beloved son, with whom he is immensely pleased. Because he sees you through the righteousness of Jesus. I could just see, just see the, the spiritual weight that was lifted off of his shoulders. Before his confidence was, was in whether or not, uh, in whether heaven was open or not, was dependent on him. Now, it depended on Christ alone. Baptism is God's declaration that you are forgiven in Christ and that heaven is open. Faith is not an action that you do to open heaven, but it's trust that by what Jesus did for you, heaven is open. There was one other very important day when the heavens were split open in the Bible. And it just so happened to be on a day when darkness covered the, the whole earth. The day Jesus died on the cross. Recall that when Jesus died, that the sky closed up, darkness covered the earth, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Early church tradition describes that temple as having uh, the heavens embroidered on it. The ripping open of the heavens of the curtain 
is symbolic of what Jesus' death on the cross means. The division between God, uh, who dwelt in, in the most holy place, and, and man who, who lived in sin and suffering on the other side, is ripped open by Jesus' death. God the Father doesn't see that, that, that division anymore. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus who, who took on our sin in his baptism and satisfied God's wrath towards us when he died on the cross, thereby opening heaven for us. Jesus has ripped open heaven by his work. That's God's promise to you in your baptism. Heaven is open. At your baptism, Jesus enters into your sinful life and he gives you his righteousness. At your baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon you and created faith in your heart. At your baptism, God the Father said of you, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. At your baptism, the entire Trinity was present. You were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. At your baptism, God opened heaven to you. And this promise is what gives you the strength to face the temptations of the world, your sinful flesh, and the devil, the next 40 days, and the rest of your life. In the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen. Please stand, and we sing our offertory hymn, uh, the, uh, the hymn that's listed in your service folder.